Shabbat Shalom and uh, greetings to all of our guests and greetings to all our brethren around the world who may be seeing this sermon later on. We hope you're rejoicing in the Sabbath, even this cool winter day. Uh, They said there might be a little snow mixed in with the rain this evening. That would be very interesting. The world, led by the United States, is trying to work its way out of global recession. And the United States is, of course, greatly blamed for the crisis. Our July-August 2009 Tomorrow's World had the cover article by Dr. Meredith, America's Last Days, question mark. Five months later, and I just received this yesterday, I believe it was, or the day before, it's the Newsweek magazine cover article, How Great Powers Fall. So while we have been warning our nations about the potential fall, Newsweek magazine, a national magazine, finally comes out five months later after Dr. Meredith's cover article, How Great Powers Fall, with the Capitol Building of the United States upside down. Steep debt, slow growth, and high spending kill empires, and America could be next, by Niall Ferguson. Remarkable that a national news magazine is talking about the potential fall of the United States. It's very remarkable and very significant. On the other hand, there is good news this past week. The United States uh, unemployment in the United States was down from 10.2% to 10%. So that uh, is very encouraging, although North Carolina has a 12% unemployment rate, which is not so encouraging. This past week, President Obama addressed the nation, and he proposed an additional 30,000 troops to Afghanistan. So my question is, will nations solve the world's problems? There may be a short-term success that God would allow from time to time, but the long-term solution is partly in this room and in the meeting halls of God's people around the world. God is training His servants who keep the Sabbath, the holy days, and His way of giving and His way of love. As you know, God blessed the 2009 festival sites around the world this season, and many of you rejoiced as God commanded. The festival site coordinators gave us survey forms for comments and suggestions, and brethren almost unanimously around the world cited as the number one highlight of the feast, the inspiring messages and sermons. But another factor that they cited was the feast sites were very well organized. How was that possible? Well, because of good organization, good teamwork, good responsiveness, and many of you responded to volunteer and for calls of help and service. So my question today for you is, will all of us, every man, woman, and child, continue to live this year with a serving attitude, with a responsive attitude, and with a cooperative spirit? Let's turn to Matthew, the 19th chapter. There was a young rich man who was given a great opportunity. How did he respond to that opportunity? Matthew, the 19th chapter, beginning with verse 16. Matthew 19 and verse 16. Yes, the world's solution is the return of Christ and the kingdom of God with trained kings, priests, and judges 
assisting him. Matthew 19, verse 16. We have the opportunity for that training now. Here was this rich man, Matthew 19 and verse 16, who asked Jesus a major question. Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And the rich man said to him, which ones? Jesus gave five of the last six. You notice one is missing. The tenth one, thou shalt not covet. Very key to the lesson that this young man should have learned. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. He had the opportunity to be a full-time disciple of Jesus Christ and to follow along with him. Verse 22, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He failed the opportunity. He resisted the invitation. He declined the invitation. He did not respond to the calling. Most of us have wholeheartedly responded to God's calling. And there are two characteristics that will help all of us grow spiritually. That is, for the purpose of today's sermon, those characteristics are responsiveness and service. And that's the title of the sermon, Responsiveness and Sermon. <laughs> responsiveness and service. We all need to apply those characteristics and those two principles year-round. So how willing are you to respond to the needs of others? Let's take a look at some examples of responsiveness. Every community service supports emergency vehicles and services. And I know when we were living in Pasadena, along South Orange Grove, we would continually hear sirens at least three or four times a day, it seems. And uh, even now, out at uh, Mint Hill, we'll still hear sirens every once in a while. And how's my response? I pray that God will bless those emergency vehicles in their response to an emergency need. And how well those services respond can mean a matter of life and death. The New York Police Department uh, sent out a survey about police responsiveness. How well do they serve their residents in their area who have reported a crime or contacted the police for assistance? Ninety percent of the respondents stated that officers treated them somewhat or very professionally during their interaction. Ninety-four percent of respondents stated the officers treated them somewhat or very respectfully. So the NYPD had a good response, or that is, felt that those whom they served uh, felt that they were responding well. Eighty-two percent of those surveyed felt the police department is doing a good or very good job of dealing with citizens in a fair and courteous manner. So if you were to send out a survey to your friends and families, what kind of response would you get? Would you get as favorable a response? How would you fare in a survey of your friends, family, and brethren? How responsive and serving are you? Now, one other aspect of their service was the timeliness of the response. 
72% felt officers responded somewhat or very promptly to their incident. And I know I feel somewhat uh, guilty at times because uh, we have many requests coming into headquarters and sometimes I don't respond to too many of them because I get overwhelmed with so many responses and I have to work on that, a better management and better response. There is an organization called National EMS, Information Service, the uh, emergency uh, response. In the one county system, their average response time was five minutes and 35 seconds, which is a pretty fast response time. The worst 10 average was uh, 16 minutes and 19 seconds. And sometimes, again, that can mean the difference between life and death. So how quickly and how effectively do you respond? Sometimes we're overwhelmed. We're overloaded. We can't respond like we should. Multitasking mothers have a challenge. Maybe a mother is doing the dishes. She's on the cell phone. A toddler is tugging at her apron, and the doorbell rings. You know, you have to make a decision. What am I going to do? How am I going to respond to all these needs? And uh, which response do you choose, mothers? I'd, I'd be interested in your answer. But let's understand God expects us to respond and serve effectively in a godly way. How much of your character exemplifies godly responsiveness and service? We'll give you a little background of that subject. I discovered those two principles about 44 years ago. Dr. Meredith wrote what I feel are two classic examples or articles on Christian responsibilities for men and women. His article titled, What All Husbands Need to Know, appeared in the Plain Truth magazine, June 1966. As I mentioned to you before, it's easy to remember because it's 666, that is June 1966, so I remember that article. That article has helped me significantly for more than 45 years in my marriage, because I think of those five responsibilities, and they are love and respect, support and encouragement, help and protection, leadership and guidance, and inspiration to grow. And I pray about those responsibilities towards my wife. And it's been a tremendous help to me. I, of course, when counseling uh, potential uh, mates, I encourage those uh, men to know those responsibilities and fulfill them. And it does take time to internalize and practice them. The other classic article that Dr. Meredith wrote was titled, True Womanhood, Is It a Lost Cause? And that article appeared in the Plain Truth magazine, November 1965. And in that article, he described five significant characteristics for true womanhood. One, responsiveness and service, which is the title of the sermon today. Tenderness and beauty, intelligence and understanding, Christian virtue, and faith, hope, and courage. And again, I encourage you to read that article if you have opportunity to access it. So while we apply these biblical principles in our lives, we enrich the lives of others, we strengthen our marriage and our family. And uh, I'll just read a couple excerpts from the article True Womanhood is at a Lost Cause, in the Responsiveness and Service section. Dr. Meredith writes, Perhaps the most outstanding characteristic of a truly feminine woman 
is that of being warm and responsive. The first man, Adam, was alone. He was lonesome. He had no one to talk to. He was incomplete. Woman was created to share man's life and love, to respond to him and encourage him. If a woman will lovingly and consistently do this, any right-minded man will lavish love and appreciation on her in return. I think we have quite a few right-minded men here in the congregation. For this is the kind of person most men truly want to marry and with whom they want to share their lives. So very beautiful characteristics of responsiveness and service. One more excerpt from that section. Both in her family and in the larger society, she is not only responding but serving. She is constantly attempting to make her home a cleaner, more beautiful, more happy place. As part of her husband and family, she's attempting to do the same thing in the lives of those around her. So while responsiveness and service are emphasized for women in this article, it is a general principle. And, of course, it's a principle that men, women, and children can apply in their lives. And, of course, I'll refer you to Five Keys to a Successful Marriage, which was in the July-August 2007 Tomorrow's World magazine. So, again, the questions for today are, how well do you respond? How effectively do you, do you serve? There are some who do not respond. There are some who actually resist. And some of you in your own families may be resisting the instructions, the appeals, the commands, if you will, of your parents, or perhaps you're not uh, fulfilling the needs of your children. Let's take a look at a couple examples of resistance. Turn to Acts, the seventh chapter, Acts 7. When we when we think of God's people, we think, oh, well, no, we, we don't resist, do we? Well, we need to examine ourselves and see whether we are so cooperative, responsive, or whether we resist. And this is a powerful indictment by Stephen before the Sanhedrin. Acts 7 and verse 51. He indicts the Sanhedrin and he says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. I hope that none of us have that accusation or that allegation against us. Do we resist or are we being led by God's Spirit? Are we following God's instructions or do we resist? We all have human nature and it could be part of us to resist. He goes on to say, Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the directions of angels and have not kept it. Well, here is a major example of a group of people who were resistant. Stephen said, You do always resist the Holy Spirit. Let that not be said of any of us. Let's take another look at Romans the 13th chapter, Romans 13. And we are instructed in this case not to resist, that we are to cooperate with God-ordained, organized government. We say, well, this is all carnal government out there. Well, if there were no government, what will we have? We would have anarchy. 
Now, we need better government, of course, and Dr. Meredith has been emphasizing the key of righteous government. And all of us are being trained for righteous government, the coming of God's kingdom. Here in Romans, the 13th chapter, initially starting in verse 1, Romans 13 and verse 1, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So again, he's telling us we need to follow, submit to established government. And later on, he says in verse 7, Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due. And there are U.S. citizens who say, well, I don't need to pay taxes. There are people who call themselves Christian who refuse to pay taxes. But if they're submitting to the word of God, they're going to pay taxes. They're going to obey God and follow those customs to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So we must be subject, not only because of wrath, but for conscience sake, as it tells us in verse 5. Now, of course, we should not resist um, the Holy Spirit. We should not resist. We should submit to government, let's put it that way, because obviously we are to obey God rather than man as uh, Peter told the Sanhedrin in Acts 5 and verse 29. But we should resist Satan. I won't turn there, but you know James 4 and verse 7. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter said, resist him, that is the devil. So there are some segments in our battle for truth, in our fight for the faith that we need to resist. We need to resist evil. We need to resist the devil. So don't be like the Sanhedrin leaders who resisted the Holy Spirit, but be led by the Holy Spirit. It's Romans 8 and verse 14. And submit to government authorized by God. Yes, we ought to obey God rather than man. So now let's ask the question, how responsive are you? We need to examine ourselves Uh, Dr. Meredith gave a sermon last week on five keys to help you obey the first great commandment. Key number three that he gave in the sermon last week was learn obedience and profound reverence to God's law. So we can examine ourselves and ask ourselves, as I have in the past and do occasionally, not have I transgressed the first commandment, but to ask the question, how? Have I transgressed the first uh, first commandment? Am I? Do I have other gods before the true God? Am I applying the positive aspect of the first of the Ten Commandments, as we heard in the sermon last week? I hope you review that. Of course, he says in John four twenty four that we are to worship God in spirit and in truth, and God is searching for those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. So ask yourself ten questions. Do I have other gods before the true God? Do I have idols before the true God? Mr. Carl McNair's sermon, number 122, Idols of the Heart, is a classic sermon. And there are idols that we have. We think, well, we're not like the other um, pagan professing Christians out there that have statues. People bow down to it and kiss these idols there. I'm not, We're not like that. But do we have idols of the heart, as Mr. McNair brought out in that sermon? Am I addicted to any negative or detrimental habit? 
Is the cigarette my god? Is it my idol? Am I addicted to violent computer games and images? Am I addicted to perverse internet images? Those are idols. And we need to repent of it if you are addicted to them. If so, you're not responding to God's way of life. Let's take a look at some positive examples of responsiveness. John, the ninth chapter, John 9. Addiction is uh, something very difficult to overcome. And sometimes it takes God's intervention to give you a strong correction. Because as you sow, so shall you reap, as uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 6. John, the uh, ninth chapter, and starting with verse 1, John 1. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but, the wor- but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. And it's certainly true in our today. A night is coming when no one can work. And we have to work while it is day before the famine of the word occurs and to get the gospel out to the world. Verse 5, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, he might say, Well, no, wait a minute. Why should I wash in the pool of Siloam? You know, that's down the hill, you know, from uh, the end of Hezekiah's tunnel, and down in the uh, Kidron Valley. Why should I do that? So he went and washed and came back seeing. He followed instructions. He didn't resist Jesus. He responded effectively and willingly. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this, is not this, he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, It is like him. And he said, I am he. And how did your eyes get open? He said, well, Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed. You know, I followed instructions. I responded. I did what he told me. And I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. Let's turn to Exodus, the 23rd chapter, for another example. And, of course, this is applying to us. Are we responsive? Do we respond positively to God's instructions? Exodus 23, uh, verses 14 through 17. We've enjoyed the uh, Feast of Tabernacles this past year, and already uh, we're planning the Feast of Tabernacles for 2010. And we hope in the next uh, few weeks to announce the new uh, feast sites that we have. We're planning for nine feast sites in the United States. And uh, we want to be planning ahead for that uh, now. And I hope that you are preparing and planning ahead. And that you're responding to Exodus 23, verse 14. Three times you shall keep the feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded you, at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me that is empty-handed. And the feast of harvest, or Pentecost, the first fruits of your labors which you have sown in the field, 
and the Feast of Ingathering, or the Feast of Tabernacles, at the end of the year when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times in the year all your males shall appear before the Lord eternal. So I think that most of us have responded to that. Some have not um, been faithful in saving a festival tithe and therefore have been unable to go. And others, financially or because of illness or because of pregnancy, are not able to go to the feast as well. But I think most of us have, and I want to encourage all of you to make sure that you're planning ahead for the feast of 2010 and that you are saving your festival tithe faithfully. Let's take a look at another example of positive responsiveness, and that, of course, is one of the unique events in history. Take a look at Jonah. Uh, After Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Jonah. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Sorry about that. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Malachi. Okay, so that's the only way I can find them in the Bible. Jonah, there it is, just before the book of uh, Micah. Chapter 3 of Jonah and verse 5. Here, remember that God had to coerce Jonah. He was not a willing servant at the beginning. And, uh, but he was willing after the great fish vomited him out onto land. Verse 5 of Jonah 3. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is, in, that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? And of course, Christ uh, quoted this later on when he berated the cities there in the Holy Land for not responding to him. He said uh, Nineveh responded to the preaching of Jonah. And I was just listening to uh, some old class lessons of uh, Mr. Dick Page, uh, who taught ancient Israel. Some of you had classes under him a long time ago. And he asked the question, why were the beasts covered with sackcloth? And they, why did they have to fast? You know, they put clothing on the sackcloth on the cattle, and they made sure that they didn't eat or drink. Why? Why was that? Well, as he pointed out, in the culture of the time, Animals were considered to be members of the community. And if they were members of the community, they had to participate in whatever the instruction was from the king. And so you can imagine this cow, you know, just groaning because he hasn't had, or she, hasn't had any water or food for a while. And they groaned and and cried out to God. But they responded. How responsive are we? It's an amazing event that happened in history, and one unique in all history, when a nation repented. They responded to God's warning, and they were preserved. There's an article in Tomorrow's World magazine that is January, February 2003, titled, Must We Obey God to Be Saved? 
What is your attitude towards obedience? Again, we quoted it, but let's turn to Acts, the fifth chapter. It just seems that there are some words that have become buzzwords or become flashpoints when we say obey or obedience or government, that somehow that rankles the emotions of some professing Christians. They don't like the word obey. They don't like the word government. What, what did the Apostle Peter say? Acts 5 and verse 32, we already quoted. Of course, they were told by the Sanhedrin not to preach in Jesus' name. And, of course, they, uh, Peter said in verse uh, 29, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. You know, God is not going to give the Holy Spirit to those who have an attitude of disobedience or resistance. As he says in verse 32, And we are witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom or which God has given to those who obey Him. It's a key word, and you need to test yourself and your attitude. You know, if you don't like the word obey in the context of obeying God, you are not converted. It tells us in Romans 8, 7, that the carnal mind is hostile, enmity against the law of God, and is not subject to the law of God. It's hostile to God. So examine yourself and see, am I willing to obey? Do I want to follow God's instructions? Do I want to ask Him to help me to go on the path of life? Yes, the apostles said, we ought to obey God rather than man, and the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey God. And, of course, the Apostle Paul was one who wanted to obey God as well. Let's, uh, our former association took uh, umbrage or exception to the word obedience because obedience somehow equated to works. And if you were obeying God, that meant that you were working for your salvation. That's labeled as legalism. Now, there is a legalism that is unbiblical, and that emphasizes the letter of the law over the spirit of the law. And we, of course, want to do both, but we emphasize the spirit of the law over the letter of the law. Another definition of legalism is attempting to keep the law by human effort apart from God's Spirit. But let's turn to Romans 1 and verse 5. Just ahead a few pages. Romans 1 and verse 5. And we, the Apostle Paul is calling himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ, a doulos. He's a servant. And speaking of Christ, talks about the resurrection from the dead. Verse 5, Romans 1. Through Him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. So we have grace and obedience and faith tied together. And I refer you to my sermon. It's an old sermon. You may not have access to it now. Sermon number 89, the antinomians, which means anti against nomians, nomos law. And uh, Paul, of course, was accused of being an antinomian. Well, he was not an antinomian. He was not against the law. Remember, he said in Romans 7, with my mind, I myself serve the law of God. He was one who said the law is holy and righteous and good. So, 
I hope that we can identify the matter of willingness to obey and to follow instructions. I won't turn there, but children, you know Ephesians 6 and verse 1. I think our children in our Bible class know Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then, of course, that whole section, verse 5 of Ephesians 6, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, because we serve Christ. Again, how responsive are you? Let's turn back to Matthew, the 8th chapter. Matthew 8, another uh, remarkable example in one sense. When we think about the willingness of individuals in a corporation or a school or in a church organization to cooperate, um, Matthew 8 and uh, verse 5. This is the uh, example of centurion. Verse 5, Matthew 8. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Verse 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. Now, to me, that's remarkable. Sometimes you want your friends or family to do something. You say, go, and they don't go. So it's remarkable that someone cooperates and follows instructions and responds and does what he or she is told. I say to my servant, go, and he goes. Isn't that fantastic? That's just wonderful. If we can have that kind of cooperation in all of our churches and all of our companies and all of our work, how much teamwork could be um, instituted and, and we could be more effective. I say to him, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Woo! You imagine that. The husband telling his wife, do this, and she does it? Wonderful. That's fantastic. But let's see the other side of the coin, too, so don't get upset at the moment. All right. So, anyway, uh, Jesus said to the centurion, verse 13, Go your way, and as you have believed, so it shall be done. For you, and his servant was healed that same hour. How responsive are you? Let's go to uh, Hebrews, the 13th chapter. Hebrews 13 and uh, verse 7. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Again, <clears throat> this is on the matter of obedience and uh, following instructions, responding to authority. And again, that's uh, the carnal mind just rejects authority, and reject salvation. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Now, I was in a Bible study in Big Sandy. I think it was around 73 or 74, and there was during a time of uh, liberalization, and particularly the man conducting the Bible study, did leave with uh, uh, a group of apostates a little later on. And he said, now look at this. Remember those who rule over you. Now wait a minute, he says. Look at the margin. It says, remember those who 
lead. They don't have rule over it. They're leading you. But he says, remember though whose faith followed. Now, I don't think he read verse 17. Obey those who lead you. Now, he didn't read that word at all, or that section. Obey those who rule over you, or the leaders, and be submissive. Another key word of cooperation. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And we do with grief have to let people go because they resist the truth. They resist instruction. And they have their own little idols to follow, their own little baby doctrines that they worship. And they aren't sticking to the trunk of the tree. And it's grieving, it's grieving, grievous for us to have to... uh, let someone go. Let's take a look at another example. Let's turn to John 10, verse 27. Here's a principle Jesus gave. And I've encouraged you before along this line. How do you respond to Christ? You say, well, I'm only going to respond if I hear his voice. Well, no, Christ works through the very body, the church. And it's your responsibility to find out, is there a spiritual organism on the face of the earth that is the spiritual body of Christ called the church. And how do you know? That's your responsibility to find out. But if you do, you know that that church is organized. And you know that it's organized with leadership. And leadership with authority to make decisions and to bind. That's your responsibility. And Jesus said in John 10, And verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now Christ's voice is reflected through the Bible. It's reflected through His church. It's reflected through the the messages that you hear at the feast, through decisions that are made authoritatively in the organization of the body of Christ. But how do you respond? I've encouraged you before, I know years ago, when I got the Plain Truth magazine, the very first article I would read was the editorial from Mr. Herbert Armstrong. I wanted to hear Christ's voice. I wanted to know, where is the church leading? What is the leadership telling me? What is Christ telling me through the leadership? And I still try to do that, is to read uh, Dr. Meredith's editorial in the Tomorrow's World magazine. And then, of course, there are the co-worker letters that come out. Do you carefully read the co-worker letters. Do you pray about its exhortations? Do you respond to it? And I've encouraged you before. And I try to do it once in a while. Well, more I say once in a while, more frequently. And that is to put something extra into the co-worker letter in addition to my tithes and uh, regular offerings. Because I want to know that I have responded to Christ through that co-worker letter. And of course, some say, well, you know, I'm I'm out of work, I don't have any money, so I'm not tithing. And uh, what does God say in Malachi 3, verse 8? You've robbed me in tithes and what else? Offerings. So you're not earning any money, you don't have uh, an income to tithe, but can you give an offering? Jesus commended the widow lady who put in two mites into the temple treasury. She found a way to make an offering. And so make sure that you're not robbing God, even if you're unemployed, by not 
giving offerings. That's God's word. That's me, not me. That's what God says. So make sure that you examine yourself and see whether am I responding to Christ's voice or am I not. And again, um, here's one example. I just happened to have the uh, September 9th, 2009 co-worker letter with me. And uh, Dr. Meredith shows powerfully uh, what is happening to the immorality of our, our country, that we have forgotten the law of God, the Ten Commandments. And he says, My friends, if God is opening your mind to the truth through this work, I urge you in Christ's name to wake up. Now, do you just read over that? You say, well, this is, this is not to me. This is to, um, you know, the co-workers, and I'm in the church. But when the leader of the church says, I urge you in Christ's name to do something, are you hearing the shepherd's voice? John 10, 27. Are you responding to the letter and say, okay, am I awake? Please begin to take action, he writes, on the truth we have been giving many of you for years, for the time is short. Now at last, nearly all the prophetic events we have specifically warned you about for decades either have happened or are beginning to happen. Then he talks about the special week, that it was 60 years ago that week that he came to Ambassador College as a pioneer student. So very encouraging to read that. Then he writes later, this is the bottom of uh, page 3, So we implore each of you to be an overcomer who will have the glorious opportunity to rule with Jesus Christ and bring genuine peace and joy to the suffering world. Revelation 2, verses 26 through 27. And we implore you not to succumb to the weak-kneed Laodicean lukewarm approach which God himself predicted would even dominate most of his people at the time of the end. For even though most of these people are nice and know much of the truth, they will be cast out into the fire of the great tribulation unless they truly repent and become filled with zeal. Then he concludes, We truly have a powerful work to do. May God help all of you understand to get on board and to zealously support proclaiming Christ's message to a very confused world. If we go out, all out, in giving to Him and to His work, then He will take care of us in the perilous times just ahead. So as we heard in the announcements uh, this week, last week, uh, that we now have a new television station that will reach uh, over 100 million in uh, Europe and uh, Britain, and a new station that will begin, that begins tomorrow. So that station begins in Britain tomorrow. You want to pray about that. And also January 3rd, is it? Do we begin in Oklahoma City? Okay, December 20th, okay, in Oklahoma City. So uh, that's good news. So Christ is opening doors. And again, I urge all of you to read the co-worker letters, pray about them, and respond to them. Another way of responsiveness and the way it's reflected is by thank you cards. And uh, that's something I have to work on and uh, appreciate those of you who've written uh, us thank you cards. We, my wife and I gave a graduation gift to a young lady um, not around here, and uh, she responded quickly with a thank you card. I, we were amazed that how quickly she responded. And I know that's something I have to work on as a matter of responding more quickly. 
Another key word, we've talked about uh, responsiveness, we've talked about obedience. Another word is to cooperate. And uh, here the centurion said, I tell him to go and he goes. I tell him to come and he comes. I tell him to do this and he does it. You know, the willingness to cooperate, which I presume Mr. Parting can give the etymology of that word, but presumably co meaning with and opera work. So work with, I presume, he's shaking his head yes, so uh, figure that one out. So you work with someone, you cooperate, you uh, uh, respond. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, 1 Corinthians 12. And uh, here we know the story of the body. Verse 12, we are a part of a body. And uh, there are those who consider themselves independents. And I've tried to give that differentiation before. God wants us to have zeal. He wants us to keep the fifth law of success, resourcefulness, and to be independent in a way that we can accomplish things, but not independent that resists the body of Christ. And so he tells us in verse 12, 1 Corinthians 12, For as the body is one and has many members... But all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit were we all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. Verse 18, But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body as it pleased Him. And so you're saying, wait a minute, I don't want to be a knee joint. You know, I want to be a right hand or a right arm. But God has placed us in the body as it pleases Him. We have to examine our talents, our abilities, and ask ourselves, how can I serve best? What is the best way of serving? And, of course, we want to cooperate. We want to have that that team effort, that uh, willingness to work with others. Uh, Dr. Meredith has uh, recommended The Effective Executive by Peter Drucker. And uh, he was considered, again, the dean of management skills. And uh, This is on a section on teamwork, uh, page 68. He says, individual self-development in large measure depends on the focus on contributions. The man who asks of himself, what is the most important contribution I can make to the performance of this organization? So you ask yourself, how can I serve? When he asks that question, he asks, in effect, what self-development do I need? What knowledge and skill do I have to acquire to make the contribution I should be making? What strengths do I have to put to work? What standards do I have to set myself? And again, I hope that all of us realize that uh, you can teach an old dog new tricks. Sorry for the idiom. But you can teach senior citizens new knowledge. They can learn, certify um in particular skills. In fact, a recent article, I may have mentioned that in a previous sermon, that elderly people who tend to start towards Alzheimer's or lose their um, critical thinking and uh, speed of thought, if they start working with a computer, actually can uh, improve their thinking power and their intellect. So I'm not just saying that all of you, if you don't have a computer, you won't be able to think. But nonetheless... Uh, that was just one of the things that they have found in recent research. But we need to think of our skills and what, how can we help, how can we work. Uh, Dr. Winnale 
gave in a church bulletin uh, just a few weeks ago in uh, October 31st. It was from the world ahead, uh, October 29th. Skills that promote teamwork. And <clears throat> members of successful organizations, families, teams, churches, and business develop the necessary skills to function together smoothly to accomplish goals. These skills can be identified and learned. Uh, many are clearly biblical. Um, effective team players are sensitive to the feelings of others and avoid saying or doing things that offend others. And uh, Dr. Meredith and I were talking about that at lunch yesterday where I had to realize one time uh, growing up with, uh, you know, having been in the military and, and being in football and, you know, go, go, go and uh, do as I say, the uh, centurion approach. But uh, I had to realize one time in a class at Ambassador that I said something that was a little uh, strong to one of the co-eds, and she began bawling. Uh, oh, what have I done? Oh, the light goes on. Uh-huh. Some people have sensitivities. Some people are emotional. How about that? You know, they're not all, uh, you know, rugged, masculine uh, athletes like me. And also, well, I wasn't <laughs> all that rugged an athlete at the time. But the thinking part of it, we need to be sensitive to other people's emotions and their concerns. And so as uh, Dr. Winnell wrote in that, uh, that particular uh, essay, uh, we must develop those skills that we are sensitive to the feelings of others and avoid saying and doing things that offend others. They are forgiving and overlook slights and insults because they have learned not to be easily defended. So it goes both ways. Team players sit not in judgment of other people, accusing, criticizing, digging up, spreading evil things about others. Instead, they make sure their own lives are in order. Team players are peacemakers who promote harmony and work smoothly with others. They deal with people gently, respectfully, and patiently and are willing to listen. Team players do not promote themselves at the expense of others. They appreciate that a team is made up of individuals with different talents and abilities who make unique contributions to the team, and that the main priority is to work together smoothly to achieve a goal while showing love to one another. In short, good team players have learned to love their neighbors as Jesus instructed. And, uh, you know, you often find that there are individuals who are self-appointed critics. I met this one and, well, actually two individuals in a former congregation I pastored years ago. I called them, uh, what do they call them, self-appointed spot removers. Uh, these individuals going around saying, oh, you went to the doctor this week. Boy, you're bad. And then there's all kinds of criticizing everyone in the church for alleged uh, transgressions. They were self-appointed critics. And we have people in God's church that are like that. And if you're like that, repent. Judge yourself. As it says in 1 Corinthians 11:31, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So please be careful about criticizing others. Now, as I mentioned before, that's not to say we can't try to accurately find the facts and describe a problem because problems need to be solved, and we try to find the best solution for those problems. So we've just briefly talked about teamwork and cooperation. Mr. Partian wrote in the July-August 2007 Tomorrow's World magazine, Did They Die in Vain? 
He writes, how memorable were the words of a French newspaper man when he wrote, quote, if men fail to find the way of cooperation and goodwill, their awesome inventions will end by becoming the ingenious elements of a gigantic industry of death. If men fail to find the way of cooperation and goodwill. Are you cooperative in your own family? Are you cooperative at your place of employment? Are you cooperative at your school? Mr. Partian continues, Regrettably, there is no indication that the present civilization will ever find the way of goodwill and cooperation. But of course, we are pioneering the way of peace and of cooperation and of goodwill. I've talked about the words of cooperation, responsiveness, obedience. Let's take a look at one other word, and that is submit. Let's turn to Ephesians 5, Ephesians uh, the fifth chapter, and starting with... uh, Verse 18, Ephesians 5:18. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Are you doing that? Well, of course, we've won, uh, sung some very inspiring hymns already today in the congregation. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's one way of worshiping God in spirit and in truth giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, a thankful attitude must be a part of your eternal character. Verse 21 is key here, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Maybe we're responsive and submissive to our employers or our friends, but are we submissive, cooperative, and responsive to our families? We received an email from an individual, not in this area, who wanted some help in the church about uh, family cooperation. This individual wrote, I know of too many, and I am guilty also, who are so nice and thoughtful to the brethren and go out of their way to serve them, but yet treat their own families like they are almost enemies. What good are these kind deeds which the other brethren see when we mistreat our own loved ones. And then there are the terrible, unkind words which we would never say to the members. I am speaking of spouse to spouse, children to parents, and vice versa, and sibling to sibling. I really wish that this issue would be addressed in future sermons. Well, we have been addressing it, just that people have not been applying it. Thanks for everything you do. We will continue to support the work of our great God. So, brethren, I hope that no one in here has unkind words. We all say things we shouldn't from time to time, but as a manner of practice, I hope that no one in here says unkind words to others in the family. I gave a sermon on the power of words. And out of the heart, the abundant, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said. And he said, we're going to be judged for the words that we speak. You need to replace that. And uh, I I know the one strategy that's helped me, and I've encouraged you to do that before, when someone insults you and says, well, look, Mr. Ames, you are the most obnoxious, the ugliest, the most aggressive, unkind, unthinking person I know. How do I respond? 
thank you. I just say the word thank you, and that's all there is to it. It's very easy. A soft answer turns away wrath. Proverbs 15, verse 1. And those words can help in your own family. They uh, bring about peace. And I've encouraged you before to use the protocol and the courtesy of thank you, you're welcome, please, I'm sorry. I just said that to my wife the other day. And uh, I'll better not comment further. Uh, <laughs> and how may I help you? Um, that is so wonderful that just to hear someone. You're in a strange uh, building or new business or at a department store, and someone says, how may I help you? We have to be able to offer that same service to our family. So let's have that principle of mutual respect and understand that every human being is a potential member of God's family. Do you pray for every member of your family every day? Do you fear to disrespect the potential for every member of your family? Do you exercise unconditional love towards your family and, of course, to others as well? And love is reflected by, you know, your attitude and your communication. How responsive are you to the needs of your family? I have a personal standard that's evolved over time, and that is if my wife asks me for anything, I try to get it to, with, to her within five seconds. Uh, we were out uh, at a hotel uh, some time ago, and, and um, we have this little uh, box of, uh, of uh, manicure set, a nice leather set, and she said, uh, uh, Dick, can I have the nail clippers? Well, I thought, well, where are they? Oh, they're under the bed in my suitcase. Got the bed under the suitcase. Found that, thankfully, they were right on top of the suitcase and threw them to her within five seconds. Now, that doesn't work all the time. But that's my standard. You know, Mr. Raymond McNair uh, set a good example. He was my boss at Ambassador College for many years. And if anyone would drop something, he would pick it up for the individual. I still try to do that to this day, although I have a goal I have not yet achieved. And that is if someone drops something, I want to catch it before it hits the floor. <laughs> but I've not yet achieved it. It's one of my goals, though. I, I hope to do that one of these times. So... I hope that you are willing to serve and to help, as we read again in Ephesians 5, 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. We want to serve. We want to help. We want to respond to one another. There's no greater principle. Well, there is the greater principle found in John 15, 13. You know, greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And he said in verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another. As we heard in the sermonette, we need to reach deep inside. We need to personally sacrifice because others have sacrificed for us that we can even be here. When we think of John fifteen thirteen, I think about the response of one husband towards his wife. And you've heard this story, but not everyone has. And uh, for the sake of those around the world, I want to share this story with you. It was from The World Ahead, October 22nd, 2009, and it's a report from Atlanta area pastor, Mr. Jack Lowe. And there was serious flooding around the Atlanta area in which seven people lost their lives. Mr. Lowe writes, 
Quote, some areas in Atlanta had 23 inches of rain in 24 hours. I got a call from one of our members. He related this heart-pounding story to me. His wife left for work in her truck, but about three miles from home, she attempted to cross a stream running across the road. She said that as soon as it hit the water, the truck began to float off the road and into the creek that had flooded and caused the water to grow over the uh, road and caused the water to go over the road. The truck began to sink and water was running into the truck and up to her legs. She called her husband on her cell phone and told him what was happening. He hold, told her to hang up and call 911. He immediately, what did the husband do? How did he respond to the needs of his wife? He immediately got into his car and raced through the rain to where she was. By then, his wife was attempting to climb out of the window and onto the roof of the truck. He jumped into the water and pulled her to safety. Moments later, the truck was completely underwater. He said he has never prayed as loud and as fervently as he did driving to his wife. Thank God he got there quickly. The emergency crews were so overwhelmed that they were unable to send anyone to help her, as well as dozens of other situations. Have you committed yourself to fulfill John 15:13? Greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. This husband was willing to do that for his wife, and thankfully God helped him to save his, life, his wife. But we must be willing to sacrifice our lives, our time, and our energy for others. We need to respond, cooperate, and submit in a godly way. Another one example here is 1 Corinthians, the seventh chapter, 1 Corinthians 7. And I won't go into it at length, but just the principle here, because we always think of Ephesians 5.21, wives submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. And submission is a godly principle. It is a way of cooperating. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things of which you wrote me, it's not good for a man to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let every man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Verse 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And notice this, husbands. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Yes, we need to learn the lesson of submissiveness. We need to submit to one another. We need to submit to God's will. We need to submit to elders, as the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5.5. 5. Likewise, you younger people... Submit yourselves to your elders. So how submissive are you? How cooperative are you? And realize that we submit to God's will, and we may suffer because of it, but there's a great purpose, and that is the development of character. So God is training us as kings and priests, and during this lifetime, He's teaching us to serve effectively by following the example of Christ, who washed his disciples' feet. So think of the terms that we've discussed. Respond, cooperate, submit, obey, and Jesus perfectly lived by those godly characteristics, and we must do the same. So we've discussed the first part of that wonderful principle, responsiveness and service, that 
Dr. Meredith wrote about 44 years ago. How much of your character is dedicated to cooperating and responding? And how much of your character is dedicated to serving? So in the time remaining, which uh, is not very long, we'll talk briefly about the importance of service. Because we understand that responsiveness and service, even though it was a characteristic for true womanhood, it is a broader principle that every man, woman, and child can apply. Let's turn to Mark, the 10th chapter, Mark 10, and take a look at the importance of service and Christ's example. Mark 10 and verse 44. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. And again, the word slave can have a wrong connotation because of the uh, abuses and the history of the United States. And, of course, oppression is evil and wrong. And we pray that God's kingdom come that we can no longer have the evil oppression that's so rampant and rife in many parts of the world today. But we are to be slaves, bondservants of Christ. And whosoever you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And of course, you know, I think my parents spoiled me, you know, growing up, or, or part of the time. They didn't spoil me all the time. I had to learn to work, as I told you, and I'd get paid 25 cents for vacuuming the carpets on Saturday morning and, and ironing the handkerchiefs. And uh, since I mentioned that, I should mention, my wife has started ironing the handkerchiefs, something you don't normally do. But, oh, I really enjoy that. It's really wonderful. How do we get on that? Um, anyway, uh, we, oh, where are we? Oh, yes, we came not to be served, but to, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And I know, I, I, I expected my mother to serve me, you know, to pick up my clothes that were on the floor, you know. And it's Zitz comic strip shows that, you know, if you've seen all the, the um, typical, stereotypical um, closets of teenagers today, Zitz uh, personifies that. But uh, nonetheless, um, I expected her, you know, when I was a little boy, tuck me in, you know, tuck the, the covers in. I want to be, have those covers tucked in. That was very comforting and warm. But, you know, you just can't be served all your life. You have to serve. And Christ said he came not to be served, but to serve. So, children, think about not being served all the time, but by serving as well. That's the importance of service. Let's turn to Galatians 5, verse 13. Galatians 5. We've had several sermons on the attitude of service, and certainly at the time of the Passover, we think of a foot-washing attitude, which must carry on all year round. And certainly Jesus set that example. Galatians, the fifth chapter, it has the fruits of the Spirit, which we pray that we can produce and bear every day and grow in patience and kindness and love and joy and peace, self-control. Here in uh, Galatians 5 and uh, verse 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
But we are called to serve one another. And there are some groups, as uh, the Apostle Paul wrote, that were devoted to service. And we just thank God for many of you that are devoted to service. Many of you volunteered at the feast sites and in parking or in the business office or in ushering. And we appreciate the teamwork that's here in Charlotte where we can have the security and the peace uh, every Sabbath because it's organized and we have volunteers who are serving. We thank uh, all of the ladies who contribute to special uh, culinary delights for us on, on occasion. And, uh, well, on occasion those are culinary delights when they are available. We enjoy, you know, all those who do serve. We appreciate all the way you do serve. But uh, let's turn to 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, at this one family that the Apostle Paul commends. 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, because that was a part of a Christian attitude. It was the very nature of Christ to serve. And that's the nature we need, of course. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13. Watch, stand fast in the faith. Be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. Yes, with unconditional love. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, Stephanus, that it was the first fruits of Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Now the King James says they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Are you willing to serve? And if you feel a need that you are not serving, uh, just simply ask, and I'm talking to people around the world, uh, just ask your area pastor, are there any projects you'd like to help me with? Uh, How can I serve you and the brethren? That attitude of service is a part of our training, a part of our growth to become spiritually mature. And we can use the talents that God has given us to service. And again, we thank many of you who have Uh, those special talents, uh, whether it's uh, mechanical, whether you are an IT expert, an artist, a writer, a caregiver, an encourager. We've had several uh, spokesman club projects that have been helpful to uh, our members and others in the area. But all are called to serve. Uh, Dr. Meredith gave the sermon on number 533, Are You a Giver? So how can you serve? You pray for one another. You follow Christ's prayer request uh, instructions, Matthew 9, 37 and 38. We've had sermonettes on that. Pray for more laborers in the harvest because the harvest is plenteous and the laborers are few. And thankfully, God is sending more laborers in the harvest. As uh, Mr. Meredith's uh, letter to the ministry that uh, Mr. McNair read in the announcements that uh, we've grown by a good 500 Uh, More members have joined us around the world this past year. We're thankful for that and other ministers. So pray for more members, ministers, donors, co-workers, and laborers in the harvest. Uh, That's an instruction from Christ to you in Matthew 9, verses 37 and 38. And then, of course, in Matthew 24, uh, he told us to pray that our flight not be in the winter and nor on the Sabbath day. So I hope that we're responding to Christ in that way. And of course, to give of your physical goods. We have the food pantry down the hall here. Many of you contributed in that way of your physical goods. You have uh, provide transportation for some of our brethren that some of you are doing going out of your way. Some, I know of one person uh, in a different church area 
who was going one hour out of his way to get a scattered brethren to bring to Sabbath services and bring to Sabbath services. And again, ask, how may I help you? So there are many ways of service. One, of course, is to communicate in love, where you take the time to share. And uh, I know I I appreciated growing up listening to uh, my parents talk with uncles and aunts, and they would talk about uh, political situations in the world. And, uh, And I didn't really talk that much, but I remember Dr. Meredith's exhortation in one of his sermons and writings over the years to husbands to share your goals, to share your life with your wife. And I appreciated that, helped me to improve my relationship with my wife, to share some of my deeper goals, my emotions, my thoughts, my plans, uh, some of my uh, failings and that I needed her help with. And when you communicate, it makes a huge difference. And uh, as you know, uh, studies have been shown, and maybe you don't know, but we've written in our articles that the average time that husbands speak with wives in a week is something like 12 or 13 minutes. Now, I hope that we're not the average husband in here. I think we uh, are more talkative here. But it's like, uh, you know, Jeremy, the teenager, in, in his it's comic strip, and and he has his cell phone with him, and, and uh, m- Mom says, Jeremy, I was looking at your Facebook page today, and I, and Jeremy, shocked. What? Why? Next scene. Mom, Facebook is for social networking. We live in the same house. She looked at his Facebook, and he walks away with his cell phone and says, If you have something to say, just text me. Now, that is not the kind of communication we want in our families. So uh, all you uh, addicted uh, texters, uh, think about using oral communication from time to time. God has called us to set us to set an example to the rest of the world. And part of the very sevenfold standards that we have in the church that Dr. Meredith wrote about is to set an example to the rest of the world, and I'll just read that. Uh, This is from the May-June 2009 Living Church News. Uh, The purpose of the church, the purpose for God's church. Number four, be examples to the church of God and to the world of Christ's way of life. And then, of course, number five, which we've emphasized many times over the years, Number five, learn and practice servant leadership in all our dealings with others. Have that attitude of responsiveness and service. One of the keys to leadership, as I used to teach the students at the Living Youth Camp and the Summer Educational Program, is to find a need and fulfill it. Initiative is a characteristic of leadership. And that is, if you see something that needs to be done, you fulfill it. I'm sometimes amazed. I I see a case where maybe a woman has her arms full of groceries or something, and there's a man standing by, and he doesn't see a need. And the door needs to be open, but he doesn't see that need. He doesn't have the leadership, the insight to help and serve. Of course, I'll run and open the door for, for the woman with her We've got to be able to see other people's needs, godly needs, of course, 
and fulfill them. And if we have that attitude, we will be helping God's church, we'll be helping one another and setting an example when we have that servant leadership approach. Love, of course, another definition of love is fulfilling the godly needs of others. Let's turn to Romans 8. And again, it's one of the key verses that we all need. And uh, Thank you. The cell phone is ringing, so it's about time to conclude. But uh, Romans 8, verse 29, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Your purpose and my purpose in life is summarized in part in this profound verse that we are to be conformed to the very nature and the mind and spirit and character of Christ. He exemplified those characteristics of responsiveness, of obedience, of cooperation, and of service. The greatest servant in the universe is God the Father. Next is Christ. We are training as kings and priests to serve the world. We need to learn now to serve and support God's work. We need now to learn to serve and support God's Word, to obey His Word, and to submit completely to His will. We need to serve and support our families with courtesy, mutual respect, and love and sensitivity and kindness. We need to love and support and serve our spiritual family. So, brethren around the world, I want to ask you, Do you resist or do you respond? Do I resist my family's need for help, you can ask yourself, or do I cooperate? Am I a willing servant or am I an unwilling servant? We need to learn to respond willingly and quickly to the genuine needs of others. As it says in Psalm 102, Serve the Lord with gladness. We serve with a cheerful attitude. We serve with gladness. The two keys we've discussed today, responsiveness and service, are godly characteristics. We need to grow in Christian love and character. We need to respond, cooperate, submit, serve, and obey. So let's respond to God, to Christ, to God's leaders, to our family, and to one another in love. And let's devote our lives to serving more effectively and more willingly. And may others in the church and the world see Christ in you as you respond and as you serve.